0: Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world.
1: Hello and welcome to the Project Zion podcast. I'm your host. Carla Long, and today I have someone who is no stranger to podcasting. She's actually the host of her own podcast called "A Thoughtful Faith." I'm so excited to introduce you to Gina Colvin. Gina, hello! Thanks for being on the podcast. You're most welcome, Kiota Carla.
2: <laughs> what did you just say? I said Kiota. Kiota, what's that? It's hello. I thought you <gasps> lived in Australia. You should know that.
1: You know, I don't, I don't remember that word. Oh. Huh. <laughs> I remember okay. lots of words that I learned in Australia, um, and they were mostly swear words, though. That's yeah. what I learned yeah. in Australia. Pretty much Australian,
2: you know, um, diction is punctuated with swear words, so.
1: Exactly. So, Kyoto? is that Keota. right? Oh, well, that's, New Ze- that's Maori, so. Ah, of course. Well, New Zealand was the most beautiful country I'd ever seen in my entire life. I was blown away by the beauty of New Zealand, and gentle listeners, if you're if you're interested, Gina's in New Zealand right now. She's from New Zealand. Indeed, indeed. Tell tell us a little bit more about that.
2: About Well, I was born here, and my mother was born here. My grandparents were born here, so it was pretty inevitable. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, I'm from New Zealand, and my father is Maori, uh, and my mother, it was a naive white girl. They had me and uh, and um, I live in Christchurch and everybody who hears that I live in Christchurch do this sort of head cock to the side. Oh, we're very sorry about that. Like with earthquakes and terrorist shootings and things. It's not like that every day. So just in case you had thought you might like to come, it's a beautiful city.
1: It is a beautiful city. I stayed in Christchurch for a couple days and I thought it was just enormously fabulous. So Gina, um, actually, Gina walked into the Salt Lake congregation a couple months ago uh, in March uh, before World Conference, and I uh, was leading the worship service that day, and I was a little flustered by everything that was going on. We had like 10 actual members of the church, and we had like 16 visitors that day, so I was running around like a crazy person and trying to figure out the worship service as we were doing it because it's like an interactive worship service. And Gina gave me such good advice. I was speaking to her and her little group about what we should do. And Gina said, we shouldn't do that. I was like, you are right. Thank you for that. And so I completely <laughs> changed it up. So I am very appreciative to Gina. So Gina, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your life. And, um, and then you can just move right on into your faith journey if you'd like to.
2: Sure. Um, well, I, my husband, Nathan, and I are the parents of six boys, uh, and, uh, I'm a native, I say a native of Christchurch. I've always lived here except when I haven't lived here. i various, we've lived in various places around New Zealand, but seem to always come back to Christchurch I lived in Taiwan for some time. Um, I have, uh, three years ago, I left my job at my tenured position at the university to follow a call to ministry. Uh, it was something that was growing within me at that point. I was still Latter-day Saint. I grew up in the Latter-day Saint church, uh, And and so I enrolled in Laidlaw College, which was actually a very it's it's what I was has been told is a very conservative uh, Bible college, evangelical Bible college. It's actually been it was actually really quite wonderful, Um, a really wonderful uh, curriculum where I I was able to explore all kinds of uh, things that had been taken for granted before. Um, I have been I, as I say, I grew up LDS, and uh, probably I think it was pretty inevitable that I would unwind myself somewhat from the church as time went on as I look back. Uh, I currently do not attend. I scraped by by the skin of my teeth, getting excommunicated. In December last year. I'm not sure if that's a good thing for me. It's certainly a good thing for my husband and family. Um yeah, I mean, what else do you want to know,
1: Carla? So you weren't excommunicated last December.
2: I wasn't.
1: I <laughs> no, that's was fantastic. Ex-
2: well, no, yeah, I think I uh, from the position of excommunication is a brutal and terrible thing to do to anybody. Uh but from the perspective of being able just to move on, uh, it's it's been a bit of a cha- you know, been a bit of a millstone around my neck.
1: Right. And so, what was it that really started you on that on that journey of maybe stepping away from the LDS Church?
2: Um, I think it's always in the, wa- it's in the water. Really, uh, when you think about it in terms of faith development. The LDS Church is wonderful at Redemption and Lift. It was wonderful with me. That is rescuing me, giving me belonging, giving me community, and giving me certainty and promise so that I could get my head right. Uh, so it is great with that. But as you mature, I think, and begin to ask questions and start finding that you have some no's there, some resistance there. Uh, I think it's inevitable a- as we mature that we begin to exercise those no's. And, and I, you know, to be fair, like, I mean, I have wonderful, wonderful um, memories and friendships made in the LDS Church, and, I, and I'm profoundly grateful for everything that it gave me but it wasn't able to accept that I had no's. I had no's to polygamy, no, a no to patriarchy. I had a no to the way that tithing has been appropriated from particularly people who can least afford it. A no no to the lack of training for clergy. Uh, I have, you know, all a no to the authoritarianism of the LDS church. Uh, However, I've always loved the Restoration. There's something promising and wonderful about the restoration. So, you know, as you go through this and you find your no, and then I had a no to the temple, and that's the biggest no. Uh, You know, I'd always been, you know, since I was nineteen, I was a temple goer, Um, and then I discovered, oh, you know what? I don't think I I can do this anyway. I had a no to the the temple recommend interview, and then I had a no to continuing to wear the temple garment. Then I had a no to actually even engaging with the temple anymore and uh, these things sort of gradually come upon you as you as you accept your own resistance and turn that over like a precious stone like where is the snow coming from uh and then you become inquisitive about why your body i mean i think when our heads aren't particularly wise our bodies can be really wise and we can feel that no in our body uh And I was feeling this and I thought, okay, I need to really explore this. I need to really think about what's going on here. And almost everything that I turned up and turned over because of that no uh, was for a a really intuitive reason and I felt right about it. When I claimed that no and said, no, I'm not doing that anymore, um, I felt really good. But, you know, I do have to say that, and I've made this reasonably clear, Jesus and, you know, my Christianity – my faith has never been in question. For me, there's always been God. But as I'm a sociologist, I see, and and then have become since a a theologian, I see um, that we can swap in and out of our own hermeneutics. So the way I was seeing the world at one stage was through these LDS hermeneutics. And the end game of the LDS theology is really obedience. Uh, so when I could say, well, if I just swap that Herman then God becomes something else, uh, and I think that was always in the background. This as as I was ex- being exploratory and thoughtful and prayerful about what was going on, uh, I, I think my relationship with the divine just n- gradually became what it was always supposed to be: this sort of expanding journey along my own spiritual path.
1: Uh, yeah, so but still you would probably say, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you're still culturally Mormon. Is that correct? Would you say that? And if you do say that, could you explain what that means? Like we have a lot of community Christ listeners on the podcast as well, and they might not understand what that means.
2: Am I culturally Mormon? I, I, I'm not quite sure. I understand and I can read the culture. Uh, it's not difficult for, because i have grown up. I, I, you know, I percolated in the, in the culture. So I understand do I is it a cultural framework from which I continue to see the world? I mean, there's nothing taken for granted now. I, th- I, I would say no with, with in, in the respect that as I become more inquisitive and, and thoughtful and critical, uh, I'm able to see how I have been, my consciousness has been formed by the LDS Church. And when you see how, you can deal with it and and deconstruct it. So I do have all this cultural knowledge. My body continues to respond to cues in the LDS church. If I go into a a church meeting house, I have six children. My husband is still very adherent. um, And I'm frequently at the church meeting house because my boys go to youth program and they also uh, attend seminary. Uh, You know, there's a familiarity about smell of it the feel of it the warmth of it or the cool of it Um, there is a way that my body has been taught to respond to the sound of it you know the sound of general conference but I'm I'm much more critical of that and I say critical as in I've been able to deconstruct that and reconstruct away from it so I think you know for community of Christ to understand um, that you know you're formed as Mormons there's an intentional and I want to say spiritual formation pathway, but I don't think it's spiritual formation. It's cultural formation um, to respond to a particular way of being in the world in relationship with the church. So yeah, that, I, th- I think that will always be there.
1: Yeah, I, that actually helps out a lot. Thank you for that. And and community Christ, we do understand culture because we are also, or maybe I shouldn't say also, we are peculiar people. I'm not saying yes. the Mormon church is peculiar. I don't know all that much about it. So uh. What, if I can ask, what led you up to the excommunication part?
2: I think in 2000, it started a little while back. Uh, We moved, my husband had a postdoc in Wellington, and we moved into a very conservative ward. And it was sort of percolating at the time where I I had, I think this was in 2009, and I had a lot of questions going on. we just got... For, in, in the last two years, we've got five extra children. I was still doing my PhD. I had a full-time job, and we find ourselves in this really conservative ward. And that movement, having the, getting children all in one fell, like literally overnight, we went from two, a two-children two family to a five-person family, then a six-person, sorry, two children to five children to six children. Uh, it was immensely stressful on so many levels. Uh, and that caused me to consider, okay, is the, is the church, the church sort of offers a one-stop shop to resolve all your questions and your concerns and your stresses, et cetera. Uh, but it wasn't at this particular time. And we moved to Wellington and I was in the thick of a belief crisis and had got a lot of solace out of my relationship, all my faith in Jesus Christ. So I was putting a lot of time and attention into into thinking about my own Christianity. Uh, And I was also asking lots of questions at church uh, and and questioning people who are making these assumptions about about race and uh, about... um, That's another thing about the constant repetition of, I know that President Monson is a prophet of God. I'm like, well, why? Why do you think he's a prophet of God? Well, they didn't take too kindly to my questions and people started informing. And this is what happens a lot in the LDS Church. I think it's probably by far one of the cultural problems that authoritarian cultures uh, continue to have. And that is... Adults informing on other adults and there'd be no room for that growth. So people were running to the bishopric into the state presidency uh, saying, oh, Gina Colvin has said this in class and she said that. And so when I went to get my temple recommend, they wouldn't even have a conversation with me. They told me my, my, uh, they wouldn't have an interview with me. They, the, the state presidency had already said, she um, obviously doesn't have a strong testimony. And I was asked in a meeting, would you bear your testimony of President Monson? Uh, because we hear you talking about a lot about Jesus, but we don't really hear you talking about President Monson. And I thought, what a violent thing to do to my own Christian faith and my own relationship with, with Jesus Christ. What a violent thing to do to diminish that in favour of a testimony of some man I don't even know. Who's probably but Doolally? He's got, you know, obviously he's not functioning with all of his cylinders, um, and I was just kind of furious about that and, that, and that sort of escalated things somewhat.
1: So it was from that Temple Recommend interview that things really started. I mean, oh. you really started to go downhill for you after that Temple Recommend interview. I went uphill, Carla. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's true. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry.
2: Um. Uh, I think so. It was very difficult to recover from that because when something violent, spiritually abusive, and violent like that happens, then you begin to see, oh, this is a thing, and you see it in other places, um, and then you recognize maybe I've done that to other people as well, uh, and, and then you you kind of see actually this is the glue that keeps the social system together. We're supposed to be a tribe. We're supposed to agree with with each other, even if we have. When we don't agree, we're not supposed to examine our questions and hold them sacred. We're supposed to just all um, perform our religious, our faith in a particular way. And if we don't, we'll be socially shunned and punished. And I began to see that with much more clarity. And I thought, well, is this a spiritual path for me? But, you know, I hang on for a long time. So, I mean, you asked about the excommunication just to be really quick, and I've spoken about this on an interview on Mormon Stories. Um, In 2012, I thought, well, I've got something to say. I've discovered, you know, John Dillon's podcasts and and, and this whole, like, burgeoning community, this nuanced big tent Mormon community. I thought this is really interesting. But they were always speaking from an, an American perspective. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I've got something to say from somebody who's... Uh, you know, from the perspective of somebody who 's not American, because it wouldn 't it be nice if the LDS Church actually saw itself in its own cultural hubris and the way that it understands the world that we outside of America can never seem to control because the LDS Church is about um, taking a template that 's like a franchise. You take a template and then you impose that on the rest of the world, whether it be Africa or Australia, New Zealand. And the job of the local people is to not interpret it, but to replicate, reproduce that template for church governance, um, regardless of where it is. So then the message doesn't change. It's never contextualized. It's just an American message. And I felt, oh, well, I'm going to start blogging about this and say, you know, this isn't innocent. What you're doing is you are imposing a, 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 a way of seeing the world, a hermeneutic on the world, which doesn't actually belong to us. And the, the net effect of this is to have a lot of Mormons um, imagining that the United States is the promised land, and it's not. Um, um, so I started blogging, and then that seemed to pick up a lot of momentum inter- internationally. That's at Kiwi Mormon, it's at Pathos. Uh, And then I was asked to take on a Thoughtful Faith podcast. Then I was asked uh, to become involved in Mormon scholarship, Mormon studies. So I've done a bit of academic writing in Mormon studies and have for the last, I don't know, maybe three, four years been a podcaster um, for the Open Stories Foundation. Uh, it It was supposed to be for people who my podcast was designed at people for people who were still adherent and wanted to find ways of being in the church. I'm not I think I may have failed that. So so that's what led me. And then and then I thought, okay, I love the church writ large. I love Christianity. And I was talking to the Anglican bishop about um, just generally about Christianity and women's ordination. And she said, you know, part of Christianity is being in community with each other. And at that point, I was attending a Baptist church. I was sometimes going to the Anglican church. I was triple dipping on a Sunday. I thought, well, I could do, I could, I went to the LDS church and I thought, I cannot finish my Sunday, my Sabbath, like this. So I would skip on out and go to the Baptist church. And I had wonderful relationships with the pastor, the pastorate team there. And and it was very liberal. When I say Baptist in New Zealand, it's nothing like Baptist, Southern Baptist, whatever it is. In, in the United States so I had wonderful for several years I had wonderful relationship with them who were very helpful uh and then when I had this conversation with the Anglican bishop she said you need to choose a community to serve and so I thought I said so I said okay so tell me your most feministy feminist priest and she said well that would be Megan Hillsmore she's at All Souls and I went there and Megan and I met and we became um you know connected really really well um and so when uh I received my letter informing me that they would were going to initiate proceedings disciplinary proceedings against me it was because of my baptism in the Anglican church
1: so all of the other stuff, did it, did it matter or was it just kind of a lead up and then once you were baptized in the Anglican church, they were just like, it was the straw that broke the camel's back or was it just the baptism? It was the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, I had been having ongoing conversations and
2: I had been active until, like theoretically active, I'd sort of trailed off, but I'd had a calling until in the church Um, or a position in the church until I think maybe a year or so ago when I resigned myself, um, when I released myself from my calling. Uh, So, you know, I'd always been active, even though I'd been going to a Bible college and I was hanging around with the Baptists and hanging around with the Anglicans. um, I had been pretty active Um, up until that point. Up until May of last year, when they said we're going to, pre- you know, proceed with action against you, that was at May. I was informed in that uh, last year. And one of the things that they said to me that really, really struck me—that were two questions were were asked of me in that interview, and one was, "Do you believe that Russell Nelson is?" Ah. Uh, A prophet of God, and and I said, why are you even asking me this question? Like it matters not to me whether or not. I mean, I think prophets grow up in community. They, you know, the prophetic gift is almost a transient gift for a particular period of time. I mean, that's not even interesting to me. Um, Why is it? And you know, my question back was, like, I'm profoundly in love with the Christian message. I'm the Jesus Christ of the New Testament means everything to me in terms of my own spiritual formation. Why, why is it that more important than whether or not I can say that President Nelson is a prophet of God? I said, because I can't. Like, why would I be able to say that just because he got a, a call? What, what has he done that's prophetic? Uh, so they didn't like that much, as you can imagine. And, uh, and then the other question was, do you think that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the only true church on the face of the earth? I said, of course not. I think it's part of the body of Christ like a really interesting and in in some ways informative and useful part of the body of Christ, but it's not the body of Christ. Uh, So anyway, that didn't go down particularly well.
1: I can imagine.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, those are the hotbed issues, really. You need to affirm the church and you need to affirm the prophet. Whether or not you have a relationship with Christ or an understanding of Christ or you want to follow the Jesus way, is beside the point, you could be pretty lukewarm about that as long as you were saying that, you know, sustaining the brethren. And that to me is not a faith tradition. That's just an authoritarian culture. And I think that the LDS church needs to repent of it because it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. I mean, it, it, it kind of, it, you know, and, it, and it's, you know, it's, an, it's abominable actually. So that's me <laughs> speaking. Um, quite forcefully about that but you know you see people who are losing themselves with this kind of authoritarianism they've forgotten who they are as agentic kind of spiritual beings who've been empowered and blessed by God to be able to say yes or no Um, and to discern what is happening in terms of movements of the spirit completely effacing that power that God-given power and just outsourcing their spiritual authority to somebody that they probably don't even know in America. Like, well, what kind of faith tradition is that? It's not a faith tradition. It's a belief tradition.
1: That's, that makes a lot of sense to me, but I, again, I didn't grow up in the Mormon culture, but that makes a lot of sense to me. And especially, you know, what you said earlier is a very community Christ thing to say is uh, we believe that there's truth in all religions, um, but nobody has all of the truth. Um, And those who say that they do, simply don't. In fact, we did a podcast on the one true church and the idea of the one true church. And you know what, what I got from that is when you say you're the one true church, everything has to be perfect. Your history, your prophet, your theology, and everybody has to agree that it's perfect. And if somebody doesn't agree that it's perfect, that's when trouble starts to happen. And so in order to be the one true church, everybody has to say yes, when they're told to say yes. And so, uh, we, we got out of that game a long time ago because yes. we realized that it was never going to work. And you just continually paint yourself in a corner all mm. the time.
2: Indeed. And I think um, that in this day and age where we need to be very careful about authoritarianism and fascism and the rise of neoliberal politics, um, I think that religious traditions need to check themselves, whether or not they're contributing to that trend of supremacy, uh, you know, and, and colonialism and um, you know, as I say, authoritarianism, unless they are checking themselves against that. Um, they're not actually being Christian at all. Uh, and I think that's—I think it's like a, a terrible problem, out, not just within the tradition of the, the Latter-day Saint tradition or Mormon tradition. Um, it's, it's, it's a larger problem that we, what we need is consciousness raising what we need to be able to deconstruct and understand our systems. And that's the difference I think between community of Christ, which I find is really compelling. And I I guess we'll get onto this in a minute is that community of Christ is willing to look at systems and deconstruct those systems and say, okay, how is God, how, how is the God and us, the spirit and us responding? How did Jesus respond to the the systemic issue? Whereas these conservative traditions and I'll, I'll, the Mormon tradition is as part of that is is really about an emotive response an affect to what's going on and you and 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 the job of you internally and spiritually is to align yourself with the tribal affect with the tribal emotion Uh, and that to me is profoundly dangerous
1: right well wow okay so um yes let's continue on with your faith journey um I, so I don't know if you want to talk about this and I don't know if you can talk about this and if you don't want to or can't, that's totally fine. But again, we have a lot of community Christ listeners and uh, in community Christ, we don't have a disciplinary council or anything like that. So what, what happens there? So you were sent a letter in May and then you had the actual meeting in December. So what was that like? and, And what did you have to do to prepare for it? And I'm, I'm I am actually pretty flummoxed about this kind of stuff.
2: Okay, you you I'm flummoxed as well. Um, I got a letter in May to say that they were going to take it seriously, whether or not I, it was a warning in May. I hadn't I didn't read the letter. I thought, well, the minute I read the letter, I become a subject to the letter. I've been well trained in Louis Althusser and you know hailing and et cetera. I don't know if you know about that. Have you done, did you do critical theory in college?
1: <laughs> uh, I was a math major. That's what mostly what I did. Oh,
2: oh yeah. yeah. It's, it's much safer um, <laughs> to do math. Uh, but the idea is like, if you take a po- you know, if you, you um, respond to authority, then either way, uh, you know, in, in favor of, or against, you're actually reinforcing that power structure. So I thought, well, I'm not going to read the letter. So I never have. I haven't read the letter. I'm told that it was a warning uh, and a benevolent sort of warning because I actually really love my local leaders. I just It's mostly the the, the larger church system that I, I can't stand. So I need to say that, preface that. I mean, I you know, I have very close relationships with people in the LDS church here in my own stake. I really love my stake president and I kind of like my bishop now. Anyway, um, so... And and then I think it was around November and I was thinking we need, I, I messaged my bishop and I said, you know what, I don't know what, oh, no, that's right, he wanted to keep seeing me and I kept on bailing on appointments saying, no, I can't see you, I don't want to see you, you know, you'll upset my Sabbath day if I see you this afternoon, that sort of thing. And I thought, oh, I can't play cat and mouse with him anymore. So I said, all right, let's just move on this. And um, And so he wrote me the formal letter inviting me to a church discipline. We'd had a few meetings about it. Up until you know, uh, you know, from a, between November and December, um, and we had. Um, so, what happens in the LDS churches? There are two types of church disciplines. If you're a woman, you can be disciplined by your local bishop. A bishop can initiate the proceedings. He can invite his two counselors to the meeting and decide the outcome, whether or not you're excommunicated or not. So that's if you're a woman. If you're a man, you get uh, the full high council, which is 12 uh, men who are high councillors and the full State presidency. I could have opted to have the full stake presidency and high council if I would said I don't want the procedure to be conducted by the bishop. But I never felt that. I thought, okay, let's just show the system up for the inequality that's already there. So I got a letter and I thought, I'm not going. I'm, I won't go to... This council, but I've spoken about this before. Actually, um, I had a friend who flew down from Auckland who met with my bishop, because I mean I think they were starting to see, you know, people were, were responding when it came out that I was uh, had was had been invited to a disciplinary council. I think it was a, it was quite like a, a quite a response, uh, because I'd I, I think I I don't know that I have. Been particularly critical of the LDS Church more than I've said, can we not look at things this way? Like I've never gone out and like I don't care about history and I don't call the LDS Church liars. My biggest concern is the authoritarian and patriarchal nature of the LDS Church. Uh, But it's always been, I feel it's mostly been done from a perspective of surely we could do better than this. So there was an outpouring of, you know, we're, of people who said, please don't excommunicate her. Uh, and what happened was they began to write to my bishop and stake president to say, you know, these are re-, and people in the church and outside of the church. Please don't excommunicate, Gina. This is just so bad for the LDS church. And I, I really am profoundly grateful for that kind of advocacy. Uh so as I say, I wasn't going to go to the meeting. My husband was going to go. He had like a big kind of brief all organized. A friend came down, met with my bishop and said, you know, what? on every level, excommunicating Gina will have no good effect. Uh, and and I think it was it was the day of my meeting and uh, the church disciplinary council and I had planned to have an event here with some friends. I had my Anglican priest, Megan, who was going to come and offer Eucharist and we were going to turn our attention right away from the, the church council. But my bishop uh, called me or messaged me and said, you know what, I think you should come so that we can build a bridge. And I sat with that prayerfully for some time and I thought. Yes, that's the right thing for me to do. So kind of reluctantly I went. You go into a room and the charge is read and there are discussions uh, and then you leave the room after the discussions have been had and then you come back in when the bishop asks you to come back in with the result. And the result for me was no action. It was actually quite a lovely experience considering it was a church discipline uh, and quite a moving experience as we kind of all discerned that love and kindness and goodness and acceptance should prevail uh, and excommunication doesn't, is not um, a healthy outcome. So
1: no, it's just a break. Like it's just a, we're, we're done. Everything is done. And so I, I, I definitely think that when excommunication is chosen, then, then love is not being chosen, but no. well, thank you for explaining that. That's that's helpful for me and helpful for others who might not know what that entails. So, they were the, the Mormon Church was stressed out that you had been baptized as Anglican. So, can can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Well, I never said that I was baptized as Anglican. Here's oh. the thing: um, I was. I never said officially. Uh, I began worshiping with the Anglican Church. Because it was a really soft place for me to fall. All my kids have been to Anglican schools. My grandparents were all Anglican, so you know I kind of knew the tradition. And I would found a priest who was tremendous uh, and such um, a kindred soul. And she came. She came to America with me. I was a, a keynote speaker at the Allegheny Pilgrims Conference, uh, which is a, a meeting of in Pennsylvania of um, LDS women. Uh, and feminists, and so she offered spiritual direction. She came to Kirtland with me, um, and sat in the temple with me, and had her own spiritual experience. So, so um, you know, she's been a wonderful spiritual mentor. Uh, so, you know, the Anglican Church in my own parish was just a really lovely place for me to. F- you know, soft place for me to fall. And I never really considered I was becoming Anglican as opposed to this is where I worship, but I want to receive a baptism into the body of Christ. And, you know, I explained that to my local leaders. I said, it doesn't make me Anglican. I worship with the Anglican. I'm often a liturgical minister for the, with the Anglicans. I'm in the, the vestry with the Anglicans, but I don't, I mean, I don't know what does it mean to be Anglican? I, I, I haven't figured that one out.
1: Um. Uh, don't ask me.
2: Yeah, Yeah. and there's some, I mean, as you know, like in in the Protestant world, there's so much swapping and changing. I mean, people are like, you know, I think I'll go to the Presbyterians or I'll go to this evangelical church or I'll, you know, because because all of these churches are in communion with each other and so they recognize each other's baptism. So there's a lot of swapping and changing that goes on. So, I mean, I, I consider the Anglicans to be those long term people. They've always been Anglican, they will only ever be Anglican. Uh, and they'll only ever worship in the Anglican church. I mean, the rest are just really Christians just trying to find a place that fits with them.
1: So when you – oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, you go. Go. Ahead. Well, well, just to be, make sure that I understand, you, with that with that joining or baptism, you felt you were joining the body of Christ rather yes. than – and you did not feel like you were joining the body of Christ when you were baptized into the Mormon church? Well, I was eight when I was baptized into the
2: Mormon church and it was oh, baptism in the Mormon church is baptism into the church. Um, it's, you know, that should be the confirmation, but it's, you know, the language that we use for it is we're baptized into the church. And I, and, and, and it's a baptism that is not, it's acknowledged by nobody out other than community of Christ. um, And in order to be, practice and worship with the LDS church you need to receive their particular baptism well I'm at heart I'm ecumenical so um so it's quite an exclusive baptism and it doesn't give me entry into any other community it's like not a passport into any other Christian community and I'm wildly interested in what happens in other Christian communities Uh, so yeah. So, you know, like as I say, baptism into the Eldest church is baptism into the LDS church, not the body of Christ.
1: And so for you, it was just really important to make sure that you knew that you were part of the body of Christ. And that's why you chose baptism with a person who was your really good friend and yeah. someone who that you respected and loved and, and understand, understood Christ best through. Is that fair?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at the Anglican prayers, the sacrament, of baptism, there's nothing about being baptised into the Anglican Church. It's about being, um, you know, it, it's about being baptised into the body of Christ, and I really, really liked that. And so, yeah, so, I mean, it, it, was, it was all, you know, wonderful. I was baptised by immersion in the ocean, by, you know, a, a woman, and the full moon came out. And so for somebody who really quite likes the idea of the feminine divine, it just sort of seemed like divine approbation. It should have happened. <laughs>
1: uh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. So I, your baptism sounds just like it was an incredible experience, which is really, really cool. Um, is there anything else about the Anglican tradition that really just draws you in?
2: I had thought about the Anglican tradition primarily because uh, they ordain women. And so that has been a real appeal to me to see a woman in authority. And I recall it was a, actually uh, this is a really lovely story. But I recall um, you know several years ago, and I had been part of the ordained woman movement. And uh, I've had so- I've had sons who have been choristers in their Anglican schools, and I have a son who's a, who was a chorister for the Christchurch Cathedral, and he still is actually. He's a an, 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 an adult chorister. Uh, So, you know, that behooves us to attend services. And it was one Christmas day. And I want to say it was about three Christmases ago. My husband and I were sitting on the front row and the bishop was presiding and she is was, she's Canadian. We've got a new bishop since. And she stood in front of me with, I think she had, I'm trying to remember what element she had. I think she had the wine, and invited everybody to come, and I and I felt this overwhelming need, and I've not done this before. This overwhelming need and desire to receive the Eucharist from a woman, and so I stood up and I received the, the Eucharist, and something utterly, something just exploded in me, um, divine approbation connection with God in a way that I never felt before I had, and it was just, it felt so right. So that experience of receiving a, the Eucharist from a woman uh, was probably one of the compulsions that I had to explore my Further religious relationship or denominational relationship with the Anglican Church. I had, as I say, I had been attending the Baptist Church and I loved the big music, um, loved the sermons. You know, good Baptist preachers can really bring the house down. It's really wonderful. I love that kind of e- side of evangelicalism. Uh, but I will say that having women in authority um, and the design of the liturgy. Because it's much more contemplative. I mean, what I, what I found in the LDS church was just talk, 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 and then sit down and go home. Uh, with the with the high church liturgy, there's music, there's a real craft, there's a real art to de- designing of something that brings us into deeper contemplation. So I I really have connected strongly with that, and now I get to do it myself. I'm a liturgical minister. Uh, and get to design liturgy myself, which I really love
1: doing. It's quite the thing.
2: What do you mean by that?
1: You're a liturgical minister.
2: Uh, That's a lay position. So the the liturgical minister does, you know, make sure that the liturgy or the services, you know, all the prayers and the collects and the music and stuff is all, you know, designed really well. Uh, So, and then you conduct the service. You don't preside, but you conduct the service. And, and take um, people through the liturgy. Yeah,
1: That sounds fun. Mm, it's nice. Yeah. <clears throat> so, Gina, you um, got to know Community Christ in some way and somehow recently. How did you get to know Community of Christ?
2: I don't think it's been a recent thing. I've always been in relationship with somebody from Community of Christ. Uh, you know, I'm a, a frequent visit to Salt Lake City, and I don't know how many times I've been to Community of Christ uh, up there. and wherever it is. Is it a holiday? Where are you? Mill Creek. Oh, Mill Creek. Okay. Um, And, you know, I've known Robin Linkhart for several years. But, you know, Community of Christ for the LDS folk is sort of this thing. (laughs) It's like the kid next door, right? Like, you know, um, it's really hard to explain it. It's always there. And you've got this sort of shadow of – I suppose, myth that sits over the community of Christ is sort of a a younger sort of sibling of the LDS tradition. We think of it as as Emma's church, not to be taken too seriously because after all, didn't they change their name? Um, They obviously don't know who they are. So there's all that sort of stuff there, and it's familiar enough to be a little bit annoying don't, don't be offended people. It gets, the story gets better.
1: Oh, no, I like this part.
2: <laughs> so, I mean, I remember the the first service I went to and Robin was, I think she was maybe the pastor there in Salt Lake and she got up and she's wearing slacks. Do
1: you say slacks? I can't recall. Pants. Oh, we say both slacks or pants. Okay. In in England, pants are underwear, but right. us, yes, you know, know. <laughs> pants are pants. So we're it's fine.
0: Like...
2: <laughs> <laughs> Which reminds me of, um, <clears throat> this this movement that we had called wear pants to church you know yeah. it's like well of course you're gonna
1: wear your pants to church <laughs> I was at a church camp in England one time with junior high kids and I'm like well I'm gonna go up and stairs and change my pants <laughs> and they were shocked I was like I have no idea what's wrong with you but I'm gonna go yeah. change my pants anyway <laughs> go ahead continue please
2: Um, And so there she was in her slacks and she was preaching and using this language. I think she was probably intentionally using the language of Joseph Smith and first visions and stuff to appeal to the LDS people. I'm not sure that's always a good idea, (laughs) but anyway, um, she was like, it was really moving and it was really profound and it turned me around. I'm like, what on earth is going on here? Because the language is similar. The understanding, you know, you know, the symbols of this, the, the Eucharist or the communion is similar so that kind of put Community of Christ on the map, kind of in an annoying way, because um, it suddenly became something I, could, I had to take, pay attention to. Uh, and then, and then, of course, your wonderful hymn book. <laughs> you know, Robin gave me a copy of the. What is it? What's oh, the
1: hymn Community of name? Christ sings? That's right.
2: She gave me a copy of Community of Christ sings. and I'm like, this is an amazing hymnal. So that's sort of been sitting on my piano for, you know, several years. Um, and then, you know, I've always been curious because I'm interested in Mormon history or Latter-day Saintism. I've been curious, but not that I've taken it seriously. So, but last year I went to Kirtland. Where, as I said before, I was at the Allegheny Pilgrim's conference and I said to my to Megan the priest <laughs> she'll, th- she'll think this is really funny every time I call her Megan I always say the priest um, I said you know I think we need to go to Kirtland, I'm, I'm this close so why not go to Kirtland, she was all for it so I, I go to Kirtland <clears throat> and I'm sitting in the Kirtland temple with Tom Kimball and his wife Kelly and suddenly that experience of being in that place and in that temple, suddenly plonked me back right into the restoration. There were more things that I needed to understand about that restoration. The idea of and the idea of there being an argument, and a succession crisis, and a, the possibility of the church going one way or the other, really sat with me. I'm thinking, okay, so this schism happened because of an argument. Oh no, I'm simplifying it. But we are, as a Latter-day Saint, I'd always thought that Joseph Smith was the founder of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I no longer thought that. Joseph was the founder of a movement. And Brigham was the founder of the Mormon tradition. And the Plains Saints were the founder of the reorganized tradition. And Joseph Smith really had nothing to do with either of them, you know, when you look at it like that. I thought that was really, really curious. But, I mean, the emotional and the spiritual effect of actually being plonked back into the restoration. And I felt like I am a daughter of the restoration. So now I need to take it reasonably seriously. And I became quite curious about Community of Christ and the stark difference, I think, you know, when I were in Kirtland, the stark difference, as read through my priest, who loved being with Community of Christ at the Visitors' Centre and meeting with people, um, and then was actually horrified at the LDS Visitors' Centre. Um, you know, us having that conversation about the differences between the two uh, and her having this kind of growing affection for Community of Christ was, was really sort of an unexpected toe in the water to something that I had previously taken for granted or just not given any serious consideration to.
1: How interesting. And what year was that? Are you, did you go last year? Oh, just last year. Yeah. Just last year. Oh, wow. And so did you also go to a Sunstone event? Um, not at
2: Kirtland. No, I've been to many Sunstone event, but not at Kirtland.
1: Well, i was just asking because you knew a lot of people from Europe too. Oh, yes, that's right.
2: That's right. So, um, yeah, I was invited to go to uh, a Sunstone event and I was a keynote speaker at a Sunstone event in Glasgow and there were all these Community of Christ people there. And there was Richard James and Andrew Bolton and uh, Lachlan Mackay, uh, Richard Barrington. So there was a lot of Community of Christ people and I found myself really, oh, and Joey Williams, uh, um, really curious interest in what they had to say and I went to one of Andrew Bolton's sessions and he was talking about Nauvoo and you gotta and I didn't know that he'd been an apostle or anything or but he started talking about the perversions of Nauvoo and the corruption of Nauvoo and how Joseph became corrupted there and I thought this is the first time I've had anybody denounce the corruption of the Nauvoo period with such honesty and that was profoundly attractive uh that you know, here was part, you know, a a community in the tradition, the Latter Day Saint tradition, who had grown balls enough—excuse the metaphor—to name what needed to be named, to be in good relationship with the sins of Joseph. I thought, I thought that that was wonderfully impressive. And then and then we were sitting at lunch one day, and they started talking, because contextualization is my sort of theological language, they started talking about the need for contextualization, and I'm like, what on earth is this, that they're using this really important language, um, theological language, and that really kind of grabbed me. Uh, and then suddenly there was a sort of breaking open. Look at this church, Gina. You know, <laughs> this is kind of going, you know, on in my head. There is something profound that has happened in this, and this expression of the restoration that the, the the expression of the restoration that I grew up with has tried to deny, and I couldn't help but be terribly impressed.
1: Well, that's really good to hear. I like hearing that kind of stuff. Thanks for saying that. <laughs> because sometimes I'm not impressed with the community of Christ. And then I, I hear people like you speak or people here in Salt Lake City who come and they say, well, you guys do this and this and this, and that's really impressive. And I'm like, that's, you're right. We're a cool little church. We're quirky and we're not perfect, but we're a cool little church. So thank you for saying that.
2: Oh my gosh. Yes, of course. Of course. I mean, and that's, that's what another thing that's like profoundly attractive is you know from a kiwi you know it's the sort of strange little humility that people have like I don't like it you know it's this sort of taking a back seat this kind of not being really pushy about it but I'm constantly astounded I'm thinking oh my goodness like this takes my breath away. And I'm somebody who's been around the traps religiously, being at theology school and, you know, finishing my master's in ministry at Otago University. So, you know, I've been curious and I have never come across a tradition um, that is so promising in, term, in terms of ecclesiology, in terms of the way that it, it is a really faithful expression of the Restoration. I mean in these Reformation traditions, these are big kind of mainline protestant traditions it 's very, very difficult to get the flexibility uh, and the openness and the kind of self reflex reflexivity that community of christ has um, and i i 'm just i 've been in awe actually this is not some piddly little religion on the kind of outskirts it 's some it 's a small tradition but it's radical it's open it's supple uh and it's profoundly well organized
1: well that is very kind of you to say and really good to hear um and it has not been easy to get to this point because we've come we've come a long way baby (laughs) i know
2: i know and that's and that that's what what makes it even more impressive that this doesn't come easily but it's been done at huge cost, and I can't help be but be marvel at that. So, yeah, I mean, in many respects, it's it's way ahead of its time.
1: Yeah. Well, oh, well, when we're at our best, I think we are too. So, mm. you I, and when we're at our best, ah, oh, we're always striving. <laughs> so, you were in Glasgow and went to Sunstone, and then you know, what made you come to an idea that Community Christ might be the place for you? Um, I had kept
2: up uh, communication with Richard James, who's an apostle and Community of Christ. And, you know, as we, you know, we'd meet frequently and I'd have a question and he'd you know respond, you know, and he's Welsh and I'm a Kiwi. So we're sort of strange little colonial. So I, sp- I think we have that connection. And I'm, you know, and he's very much, you know, spiritually formed in the Welsh landscape. I'm spiritually formed somewhat in the New Zealand landscape as a Maori woman. So there is, there's a way that we were able to kind of communicate with each other about spirituality that I think, uh, you know, had, um, you know, there was a meeting of minds and hearts. Um, so, so then I began meeting with Community Circle, which is the European online group, uh, of community Christ. And, you know, it's sort of kind of, it's sort of worked its way and I hadn't taken it seriously, but Richard James said, well, why don't you come to community? uh, Why don't you come to world conference? Uh, And I thought I would. And as I was, you know, I said, yes, I'll come. And as I was preparing that for that, um, I thought, well, I'd like to be a delegate. (laughs) But well, I can only be a delegate if I'm a if I'm a member, if I've been confirmed in Community of Christ. I thought, why don't I just get confirmed? Because it feels inevitable.
1: Um so yeah, so I was confirmed. <laughs> and what was that like? And when were you confirmed? And, and tell us a little bit about that service.
2: Oh, it was pretty, pretty phenomenal actually. And I you know, I've been this sort of like, I can't cannot be a confirmed member of three churches. Uh, So part of me wanted to get sloth off the LDS thing, but my husband, people keep asking me, why don't you just resign from the LDS church? Uh, I I don't resign because part of me still loves it, but I'm in a kind of a lover's quarrel with it. Uh, But also because my husband wants to retain his sealing relationship with me. That is, you know, my, you know, it's important for him that we've been sealed in the temple. And if I'm, Uh, excommunicated or I resign. I don't, you know, administratively that's all um, canceled.
1: And that's a really serious thing to a lot of people. And I, I, yeah, that's really huge. I, the, the afterlife is a a big deal in the Mormon church and in other churches as well. Ours as well. I'm sure people, it worries people in our church as well. We just don't talk about it that much actually, but that's a Mm. pretty big deal. I get it.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's a big deal for him. I mean, I, I'm pretty agnostic about that. I don't really think a great deal about the afterlife. I just figure we're here now. Why not make the most of it now? But so, I mean, a lot of people have hassled me about well, why don't you just resign if you don't like it? I don't know that my relationship with the LDS Church has ended. Uh, and it certainly hasn't. And it, it just to diminish my husband's attachment to our ceiling, I think would be. Um, tell him that, you know, I don't care for him, uh, you know, in, in a, in, in subtle ways. So, you know, you know, that's the, that's having a, that's the issue of having a mixed faith marriage. I think
1: that's not easy, Gina.
2: It's not, no, easy. it's not, it's not. Uh, so, you know, that. so I had three kind of traditions that I was in relationship with and I thought to myself, okay, so a friend of mine, Jana Johnson Spangler, um, messaged me one day and because she, she's at the Living School with Richard Rohr and Cynthia Bourgeau. Uh, and she messaged me and she said, I think it was Thomas Merton or Thomas Keating, one of the Thomases, who had said that people will find themselves spiritually in multiple traditions at the same time, that Christianity needs to to make room for the fact that people are going to be actively – you know, as a point of spiritual activism, they're going to be uh, spread out in terms of their church belonging across different traditions. And I thought, okay, you know, that makes sense. Um, So I can entertain this, the possibility of this, uh, this relationship, this formal relationship with community of Christ. But I had thought to myself, okay, so there, there is a number of elements to the way we're spiritually formed. There's, is our spiritual path, and for me that's separate from any church I'm being formed in the Ignatian tradition I receive spiritual direction with an Ignatian instructor uh, director uh, and I've been for years attending you know Ignatian spirituality, uh, retreats, etc. so I'm really attached to that form of spirit that that spiritual pathway. there's what resonates with us theologically, and I think in many respects community of Christ resonates with me theologically and in particular at the LGBT thing that actually, because because the New Zealand general synod has only just recently said we can bless same-sex marriages, but we won't marry same-sex couples. And that really hurt uh, because I I cannot think of anything more important to the lifeblood of Christianity to have everybody fully included right across from lay people to clergy, regardless of their sexuality or their gender. So I didn't, I I was really irritated by that with the Anglican church. My goodness, can you just not do the hard thing that you know is right? So that, that kind of pissed me off, but you know, community of Christ had done the hard thing that they knew was right regardless of the consequences and I that for me that really resonates so theologically I found myself aligning more with community of Christ in terms of ecclesiology I was aligning more with community of Christ where I worship you know I I, I continue I'll continue to worship with the Anglican church as long as there's no community of Christ community here um So all of these, these parts are parts of parts, right? When we kind of make up our spiritual and religious lives that aren't necessarily a straight shot in one place, if we're paying attention to what our spiritual and religious needs are. Does that make sense?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think I understand what you're saying. It, it, there's nobody who whose life goes in a straight line spiritually. It sounds like it's what you're saying that, you know, we have all of these pit stops and we have these places where we sit and rest for a while and we take different paths and maybe our path goes back to the line we were on at first and maybe it doesn't. And we find ourselves, I mean, if we're not growing um, spiritually, then we're probably not doing it right. (laughs) Uh, Right. Yeah if you can say that, and I don't want to say that people are not doing their spirituality right, but I mean, for me asking the questions and doing the, the hard work of the soul is the way to figure out where God is calling you to be and the disciple that God is calling you to be.
2: Indeed. Indeed. And I think uh, what I, what I've loved about my spiritual formation pathway is the tools and the technologies, the spiritual technologies to read my own movements of the spirit and to just keep going with, you know, with a particular trajectory until I feel a no. And, and really I've not felt a no to community of Christ. I don't really know what this means now. I mean, you asked about my confirmation service and I'll talk about that in a second, but I don't, I'm not sure what it means, but I feel that I have a part in this community. Uh, and we'll just see. We'll just see what that means. And in the meantime, um, you know, I continue to work, I'll continue to worship with the Anglican Church and and with the the Community of Christ as well, and um, being re- try and be in good relationship with the LDS Church until I feel a no to any of that.
1: Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. That's that is really informative and interesting. I I don't because I've been Community of Christ my whole life. I have definitely had a faith transition in my life, meaning I, no, I shouldn't say it that way. I've had a conversion experience into community of Christ. I think everybody needs a conversion experience. My Mm -hmm. Australian mother taught me that, um, when I lived in Australia and, uh, my conversion experience was when I was living in the Philippines and living in Australia. And I realized that this is where God was calling me to be. And I think everyone needs one, whether they've been LDS their whole life, community of Christ, their whole life, they need to be converted at some point. Otherwise our spirituality and our Our faith just remains really young, really a little bit, yeah, young because it's still the faith we had when we were children. So I, I can understand where you're coming from, and I appreciate you explaining it to us.
2: Yeah, and I agree. There needs to be a conversion experience, and I want to speak to the LDS experience where we're told always for the theophany or you know the epiphany or whatever it is to feel into the burning of the bosom. And you might, you know, we obviously we have that in, in the Doctrine and Covenants still, Joseph was saying, you know, you'll know it's right if you feel the burning in the bosom. Um, but I think there are, there are different ways where the spirit manifests the spirit self uh, depending on your time of life. So, I mean, have I had the, this is the true church experience? No, I haven't. Not with Community of Christ or the Anglican Church have I had the, there is belonging here for you, Gina, and maybe there's going to be ministry for you as well in one way or another. Uh, And just say yes. So it's been a quieter progression. Uh, And not to say I haven't had spiritual experiences, but often I think, you know, sort of unraveling the LDS experience, we expect to find the true church, um, you know, you go back to Joseph and the Grove, which church is true? I no longer feel that that's a necessary question or a useful question, but it's to say the question should be where am I going to be able to live into my best self? Where is my ministry going to be useful? Where can I worship that brings me into holiness and a sense of sacredness? Um, and then to continue to say yes until we feel a no.
1: So you said you were going to talk about your confirmation service. Do you want to talk a little bit about that now? Oh, it was,
2: it was wonderful actually. And I had tried to, den- I was in kind of confirmation service denying. And I would get emails from Robin and Richard to say, okay, this is what the service is going to be like. And I'm like, okay, whatever.
1: <laughs> Ooh, well, that's whatever.
2: <laughs> Which is kind of me. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks fine. That's fine. I didn't really pay much attention to it and so I think I was with Joey Williams and the the um, the administration offices and he said right come on hurry up we have to go (laughs) and then when I arrived there were all these people and it was just gorgeous and phenomenal and the, the Pacific um the Tahitian uh or French Polynesians were singing Tahitian songs and that warmed my Maori heart Uh, and the service just was exquisite it was absolutely exquisite it was absolutely I needed to I needed to go into that without any expectation because that's just who I am Uh, and then I had my expectations should I have had any expectations absolutely exceeded um, by the careful design of the service by the care that was put into the readings. I mean, Robin knows that I have a real thing about John O'Donoghue, who's the Irish poet and mystic. Um, And so she included that as a reading. Um, The music was beautiful. The fact that there was a candle there, you can't have candles in the LDS church. And I love candles. You know, it was there in the confirmation service and I was confirmed by Richard and Mariva Arnaud, who are both apostles um, it was just, it was beautiful. Yeah. I, I, I I'm, I, it was stunning actually.
1: I'm so glad to hear it. I, I have mm. been in services that Robin has planned before and she does an excellent job. She, she does. I like how she tailors it to that person. So I'm so glad yes. that you had that experience. Oh yeah. She, it was just phenomenal, phenomenal.
2: Um, and you know, I suppose, and and, and all the while I'm thinking I, I did the right thing. I've done the right thing.
1: I'm good with this. Oh, it's always good to have that confirmation. Yes, <laughs> the confirmation of my confirmation. Exactly. <laughs> so after that, you went to World Conference. And how was World Conference for you?
2: Oh, wow.
1: <laughs>
2: I'm, not, I'm not a meeting type person, right? But I keep saying I was absolutely stunned by the church governance structures of World Conference. I mean, because they've done the impossible, right? You know, I mean, I had a lecturer in my spiritual traditions course at Laidlaw College who would lament that we don't have this one church thing. He was like constantly lamenting that Protestants are too fickle and, you know, there's a problem with the church and so they go find another church. So here's what's different about Community of Christ is that it's stuck with the world church thing, which involves a diversity of people linguistically and culturally. Like how on earth do you do that? So the the eldest response to that is like just make everybody do everything the same and call it a gospel culture. But community of Christ say everybody is equally necessary in the community. And so we had language translations going on, people of huge kind of cultural and racial diversity uh, coming together under this one banner to talk about difficult things and the process, the parliamentary processes that were used had a stabilising effect that that supported the diversity uh, more than undermined it. What was really profound for me was the fact that although we had a first, you have a first presidency and a quorum of 12 apostles, I don't know, do you call them that or do you just call them the council of 12? Uh, Either is fine. Okay. So you have this quorum. And so the difference I found was tremendous to have all of this kind of this this hierarchy that was so familiar to me but differently understood in terms of purpose and role and responsibility. Uh, So that there was like a tremendous sort of uh, openness for the – leaders of the church to be informed by the body of the church. Now, when you go to general conference, it's just the leaders of the church informing the body of the church about what they need to do to improve themselves. But this was turned right around. It was okay. World church delegates tell us what your position is um, so that we can understand you. And that was at, at comp- you know, that's at opposite. That's, you know, almost like a, an opposite of what, how the LDS church proceeds. So that was wonderful. And, but the elegance with which it was done was really stunning. And I was deeply impressed. Uh, and, you know, these things are punctuated because, you know, we're talking about a church relationship. So these things were punctuated with spiritual practices, a way of bringing us back into, you know, when there was divisiveness, there was music used to bring us back into a relationship with each other, to recognize each other once again as a body. Um, it was just exquisite. I was, I kept on calling my husband, <laughs> FaceTiming him. And I, I somebody got up and they challenged Steve who's the president of the church, on co- the question of cohabitation, and I immediately FaceTimed my husband and I said, you need to watch this. This is the coolest thing. And I had all these community of Christ people saying, oh, we're really sorry about that you had to see that, you know, that, that dissidence or that those challenges. We're like, no, and, you know, there's a whole bunch of us who are you know, LDS. We're like, no, this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> so, yeah, I was really, really impressed
1: That is such an interesting way to describe it. You know, me being community Christ my whole life, I, I have always known that my voice is valued. Like even when I was a little girl, if I wanted to say something in a business meeting, I knew that people would listen and people were curious about what I had to say. Like I never had a time when I, I, people did not care about what I said. And so I try to explain that living here in Salt Lake city and, and I can't explain it well. So how you described world conference versus general conference is a really cool way to describe it. How, we as members of community of Christ speak to our uh, the leaders versus how leaders when leaders speak to the members so i I'm going to steal that and totally use that now as pastor of Salt Lake City because I, I want to help people understand it in that way. so thank you for saying that.
2: That's okay. now I'm going to read you a list of differences that I noticed, okay? I would love it. All right uh, so so what I noticed was. As, a, you know, as, as we've already discussed, the community of Christ is a time for leaders to hear the concerns of the body of the church. Whereas conference for the LDS church or the Mormons, and I'm going to use that because, you know, why not? is a time for the people to hear the counsel of the leaders. Conference for the community of Christ is a time for the body of the church to work out the church's theology and changing contexts. I think that's really important to see that, you know, things are changing. So how, how do we as a body ch- change Um, conference for the Church of Jesus Christ of Lady Saints is a time for the leaders to declare the doctrine and the policy. So you don't actually get, you don't ever play a part in the formation of new ways of seeing the world. And, you know, as as a Maori woman from New Zealand, knowing that your voice is not heard or recognised in Salt Lake City, uh, you know, means that you can't actually be part of a movement you're just part of an organisation. Uh, so anyway, Conference for Community of Christ is, is, is meant to celebrate cultural diversity and to hear and celebrate how the spirit is moving in different contexts, whereas Conference for the Mormons is a time to remind the body of the church that there is a gospel culture to which we are all obligated. Um, t- Conference for Community of Christ is a time to see both women and men and the young and the old, the elderly and ministry and leadership but conference for the Church of Jesus Christ of latter-day saints is a time to observe the patriarchy on display um, and so you know I, I was thinking you know it, there was such fullness there to see everything that I had thought the church should be almost everything that I thought the sh- church should be kind of come alive before my eyes and people have been reading my blog or listening to my to my lament through my podcast or my writing um, a lot of the, and I've been particularly concerned about structure and organization and church governance um, and systems in the LDS Church, uh, which, and my criticism of them brought me to a place of discipline. To go into another church context and see that many of the concerns that I have always had all had already been worked out by Community of Christ. It was like this huge, what in the world have I been missing for all of this time? It was just it was just one thing after the other, seeing an expression of the LDS Restoration Movement, uh, so in touch with the things that I had been for so long concerned about, and it had worried me and and brought me into opposition with the LDS Church. Picked up and community of crisis is something that you'd done for a generation now was it was brought me into this sense of like expansiveness and you know, a, a, a huge sense of belonging i i thought it was just elegant and i'm thinking why why did it take me so long to figure this out so
1: That's really interesting. Uh, hearing it from your perspective is, is, or you probably from a lot of different Latter-day Seeker perspectives is just, it's so enlightening to me because there are times when I just grumble at the process, you know, I'm just like, Oh, why do we have to do it this way? But hearing that it's, um, liberating for some makes me look at it in an entirely different way as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You should, you should, because it's, it's exquisite, um, and it's messy, but it's supposed to be messy. You know, you're supposed to have the person who's just from left field get up and start burbling something because that's part of the beauty of being a body, right? That's true. You're going to get crazies and, you know, people who are one issue voters and they'll just bang on about the same stuff. But the fact that I get to hear that, that recognised as an important part of the full expression of the body of Christ um, Was divine.
1: So yeah, I think there's a lot to be proud of. And well, I'm so glad. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad you had a good experience. I I I am proud of our little church. And actually, after living in Salt Lake City for almost three years now, I I think the message that I need to spread in Community Christ and have been spreading in Community Christ is how. Flippin' cool, we truly are, <laughs> because right. people. A lot of people in the church are like me. They're like, our church doesn't do anything cool. Our church isn't amazing, but we really, really are. And we need people like you to say it. We need people like me to say it, and we need people to start believing it. Right. And the other thing, and
2: I'm not sure if we were, we're up to this, yet but I'm going to say it anyway. There is an important relationship between community of Christ and the LDS Church. An important relationship, um, and I think it's a prophetic relationship because both were grown in the same ground, the, grain, the, the same theological ground. I will go on record as saying that the community, community of Christ is a more faithful expression of the restoration than the LDS Church. Absolutely. The LDS Church has um, taken the culture of Narvo and replanted it and reproduced it in the mountains. And I'm not saying... That I despise the LDS Church tradition for everything because there is much to be proud of in the LDS Church, but what I'm saying is that people are being hurt, uh, and there is a callous insensitivity to the way in which people, particularly from the the margins, and uh, are being hurt and spiritually abused. Community of Christ, and I'm not, you know, I'm not so kind of glassy eyed that I I can't you know that I'm romanticizing community of christ. You know, I know how churches work uh, and it's and and it gets messy. But one of the things that I think community of christ have done in an exemplary way is lived into its own historical demons. Acknowledged its own faults and issues and have said okay. This isn't just a one-time let's just say apologize and move on. This is how can we let our wounds inform us moving forward. And that I think is part of the prophetic to be able to see where you are, you know, have, have, have grown, a, a you know, a long a trajectory and to use the wisdom that pours out of all of your mistakes, uh, to reinvigorate and to become a vibrant and important part of the uh, of the restoration. I think the restoration as seen by community of Christ is astounding. Like I feel so proud of it. Uh, you know, I, I thought I been, had been converted into the Reformation, but I'm a, I'm a you know, like I said, said before, I'm a daughter of the restoration. I've never seen it expressed with such integrity and with such prophecy uh, a, a, as community of Christ. So, but I think that relationship is really important and, you know, and this is my big challenge in this relationship, this enmeshment, this sort of strange enmeshment that we have between community of Christ and the LDS church, maybe community of Christ have a word of prophecy for the LDS church. And when we say word of prophecy, what we're talking about is the prophetic imagination for the way the world could be different and, and kinder and more Christian. Um, so kind of growing the kahunas, I guess, for Community of Christ to actually speak as a st- this kind of lovely little fringe community into the metropole, into the center of the LDS church, I think that will be um, a practice that that will be valuable in terms of the relationship between the two.
1: Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. And you're blowing my mind. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: that's, that would be huge. That would be huge. And I, I actually want to respond a little bit to what you said uh, uh, just a little bit earlier when you talked about how we, well, I think, I think the word is vulnerability. Um, I think that moving into the spiritual practices and and doing spiritual formation as a church and as a body and leaders, I know that they, practice this all the time I think that it's it was that spiritual formation that led to this vulnerability which has led us to this place where we can say we were wrong, we apologize how can we make it right and how can we make sure people feel included rather than excluded and how can we be the best disciples that God calls us to be? I think it's that vulnerability that really calls us home mm, mm.
2: Oh absolutely. That is something that I have not seen in the LDS church um, or in many churches, just to take it on the chin. Like, yeah, we're going to we're gonna ordain women, And we know that people are going to be pissed off, but it's the right thing to do. So we're just going to do it. Yes, we're going to include LGBTQ people um, because it's the right thing, not because it's going to be the popular thing to do. We're just going to do it. Yes, we're going to be financially transparent because it's the right thing. So there are there is just such enormous integrity and particularly as people who want to follow a Jesus path, because I mean, isn't that ultimately what leads to Jesus' crucifixion? I'm going to do the right thing. I know what the consequences are, but I will die knowing that I've done the right thing. Um, And I, I, you know, I just think that is the, 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 the spiritual reflex of a church or a community of faith that has profound integrity. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be proud of with community of Christ. I I would say, don't worry about the numbers. Don't worry about the, the small books, you know, the the small numbers that are on the financial books, just keep doing the right thing for the right reason. And um, I think that's a faithful expression of the restoration.
1: Well, I think that you're a little bit prophetic too. I don't know if you know this, but um, uh, in our doctrine and covenants, I don't even remember what section it's one of the more recent ones. It says, do not be overly concerned with numbers.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. Me and the DNC.
1: <laughs> yes. I bet. not read it either. <laughs> well, it's in there somewhere. Well, Gina, I'm just so appreciative of your time. I know you're super busy. You have a lot of boys to take care of. And you're also doing, uh, working on the service today as well. So, because it's a beautiful Sunday morning where you are, as far as Indeed. I know. Indeed. Indeed. Well, thank you for taking your time out and thanks for talking to us and for giving us some insights and I just really appreciate your, your time and effort.
2: Oh, well, thank you, Carla. And thank you for letting me part of, be part of this kind of wonderfully, wonderful little church.
1: Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> hey.
0: Thanks for listening to Project Zion podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use, and while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines.